Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. The trouble with psychotherapy. (laughs) If anybody starts with that phrase or that statement, psychotherapy is in trouble, right? The trouble with psychotherapy is that a lot of individuals come in and they want me to tell them. They may want me to tell them a lot of things. I think, and a good bit of it's legit. It's not the request, let's put it that way. The questions uh, that are problematic or troublesome. But it does represent the trouble with psychotherapy for some individuals. They come in and they want me to uh, answer the question of what's going on. They want a diagnosis or at least some idea diagnostically. They put a label on it. It's helpful. Labels often have stigmas attached to them, but stigmas, labeling doesn't have to have stigma, and certainly diagnostics doesn't have to be stigmatizing. It just tells you. And as much as they ask what's going on and what does all this mean, of course, the next question would be, well, why? And (laughs) then what do we do about it? That's all good, and I think a good bit of, I want to say modern, but that may not be an applicable word any longer. Uh, Most of current theory that we're using in present tense in today's world of psychological counseling, psychotherapy, tends to do just that. It's very cognitively oriented. We want to understand things. We want to think through things. We want to uh, actualize if for whatever reason there's been a delay or some impediment to our ability to conceptualize and problem solve. And I've got no problems with people being reasoned and rational. And with that then, sort of culturally connected uh, in this manner. We have a narrative. (laughs) And we're all individuals, but we're all part of a much bigger system, entity, (laughs) you want to call it organism or organization, organism. We have some sort of shared narrative as much as individual narrative about our life. And I could become part of that as a psychotherapist or psychological counselor. I certainly could socialize or I could share what's current, present, modern. And uh, with that then, kind of be one of many, many, many voices that are resonating and reverberating through, <laughs> through the echo chambers of our mind. Uh, I, I wax... Maybe Wayne. (laughs) Poetic. But the idea, though, is all of that's important. And that's what research is about, research methodology. And I am, if anyone out there in podcast world has uh, listened to my podcasts before, they know I'm a proponent of not only science, as with an attempt (laughs) to garner facts and put them together in theoretical terms and write sort of dimensions and ways. But I guess that's what science is too. It's collectively so. Research, experiments, 
that are put together in some sort of manner that we determine truth. And though truth shouldn't be always relative, at least it seems intuitively so, because it's going to be our standard, it is relative. It's relative to not only the research, the experiments, the theories, not only the opinions, the individual determinations of what's real or what's not, or maybe so even more basically the collection of the facts. But it's subject to modification and change. That is empiricism. That is the best research model of empiricism. (laughs) And that's what the end would be. Nothing is absolute except the process. If there's anything eternal in that dimension, it should be how we go about doing it. Everything else is relative and subject to testing and all that that goes into it, feedback. So what does this have to do with all those questions? Well, in an interesting sort of way, psychology is kind of returning psychotherapy to its roots of Sigmund Freud. Freud was much less directive. Freud was much less concerned about the narratives to this extent. It was already presumed you'd been socialized. (laughs) And maybe what was happening was in the transitional aspect of it, things changing, the relativity of it, the application of what you were socialized to, the models, uh, your super ego dynamic was not necessarily maybe lining up so well with your id, but your ego was having a difficult time also contending with all the guilt and the horrible feelings that came from a truth built upon facts and empiricism that maybe in the past was quite sound and solid, but in present, current, or future context was certainly subject to being modified, changed. And with that then, scary, frightening. Psychology today, it'll all make sense by the end of the podcast. Psychology today, looking at... The January, February 2023 edition. Hara Estroff Murano, a return to neural childhood. There's evidence that psychedelics pharmacology, excuse me, pharmacologically restore critical periods of learning that close after adolescence. You've no doubt heard the news. The world of psychiatric care is bracing for a major shake-up. Clinical studies of an array of psychedelic agents are underway for an astonishing range of conditions from depression, anxiety, and obsessive-compulsive disorder to addiction, stroke, and anorexia, not to mention dementia and end-of-life terrors. The psychedelics, which promise lasting benefits with a shockingly short course of therapy, are substances that have been banned under federal statutes since 1970, deemed to have no therapeutic potential. If MDMA passes a second round of phase three clinical trials the way it did its initial ones, it is likely to be the first 
psychedelic available at a treatment center near you. In those trials reported in Nature Medicine in June of 2021, 67% of patients no longer qualified for a diagnosis after three treatment doses, each followed by three sessions of therapy to integrate the insights gained. And symptoms were still improving more than a year later. MDMA makes therapy especially effective, says Rick Doblin, Ph.D., who in 1986 founded the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, as an acronym for short. As a nonprofit to produce pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical grade, Pardon me. MDMA and develop research protocols for the agents. Maps. Clinical trials of therapy with either inactive placebo or MDMA show that the psychedelic alone had a therapeutic effect size of 0.91, but combined with therapy, it jumped to 2.1. And the word, by the way, was pharmaceutical grade. MDMA-assisted psychotherapy in marching toward approval by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the treatment of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, in 2024. Depression, anxiety, and substance abuse will not be far behind. Although not a classic psychedelic, MDMA alters perception and influences the release of serotonin and other neurotransmitters, especially the hormone oxytocin. It's the gentlest of all psychedelics, says Doblin. If you combine these agents with really good psychotherapy, you can reach insights that turn life around, says neuroscientist Rachel Yehuda, PhD, Psychedelic Assisted Psychotherapy, HAP, for short, works for so many indications, researchers believe, because the substances target the prefrontal cortex, cortex, the brain region central to so many neural operations and involved in so many disorders and revamp its structure. Drugs that induce the psychedelic experience share a molecular mechanism of action. They activate a specific receptor on neurons, the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor. They are in language in the language of neuroscience receptor agonists. But they act on a particular subset of neurons in the cerebral cortex so-called layer 3 and layer 5 pyramidal neurons essential for integrating incoming information across multiple brain areas to give us our experience of reality. Truth. My insertion. (laughs) Adding that. Psychedelics cause the pyramidal neurons to fire in a very disorganized way. Messing up all the inputs, says Brian Roth, MD, PhD, a distinguished professor of pharmacology at the University of North Carolina and the head of its psychoactive drug screening program. 
Beyond that, the brain basically makes up a story, he says, with people interpreting the experience in very, very idiosyncratic ways. In 2009, Roth's lab discovered that psychedelics target the pyramidal neurons to amp up the production of dendritic spines, vastly expanding synapse formation and the neurons' capacity for incoming information. That is, they jumpstart neural plasticity, an effect that has led some to view them as psychoplastogens. The neuroplastic effects are not only long-lasting, but we think they're responsible for the therapeutic action, says Roth. Beyond mobilization of the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor, there are no unified theory of psychedelic actions. There is no unified theory. The line from the receptor fit to changed life can be only faintly sketched. We have evidence from mice suggesting these drugs turn on a whole gene transcriptional network related to synaptic plasticity, says Roth, and that is the physical substrate for maintaining the sense of meaning these drugs impart. It has to be encoded in the brain in some way. There's also evidence that psychedelics stimulate hyperconnectivity between sensory brain regions as they relax connectivity in the self-involved default mode network. In doing so, they mimic neurodevelopment, pharmacologically creating the optimal brain state for environmental input to have enduring effects. In short, they reopen critical periods of learning that otherwise close after adolescence. The opening is felt bodily, says Yehuda, the director of the Traumatic Stress Studies Division at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Yehuda is conducting clinical trials of psychedelically or psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy with MDMA for PTSD, of psilocybin for depression, of PTSD and psilocybin for depression. Not everybody gets the miracle the first time, she observes, but what people do get is a sense that something can be opened up. They have to do a lot of psychological work after taking a psychedelic, but they approach it from the art of the possible. Therapy is essential, she believes, to help patients explore material that normally stays hidden because there is a part of them that is protecting themselves from the wounds that might occur if they confront the distressing material. Therapy helps a person reach deeper to reorganize their consciousness for just a few hours. As Doblin puts it, difficult is not the same as bad. PTSD patients particularly are dealing with enormously challenging content. MDMA makes the difficult expressible. Therapy helps patients metabolize the newly exposed information so they can begin recalibrating their psychological reality. 
The insight, Yehuda reports, is not a simple, is not simply cognitive, it's deeply experienced. And it's not comfortably contained in current models of scientific explanation. Both new ways of seeing themselves and their relation to the world, patients can begin rewriting their story. What else the psychedelic experience is, is it is intense. Whatever else the psychedelic experience is, it is intense. The perceptual effects are as emotional as they are sensory. The experience, says psychiatrist Rick Strassman, long a researcher of DMT at the University of New Mexico and the author of the newly released Psychedelic Handbook, is more real than real. In his studies of human volunteers given large doses of DMT, almost all of them declared that what they just went through was more convincing, more true, more meaningful than anything that they'd ever experienced. It's the intensity, he believes, that catalyzes therapeutic change, a positive trauma that changes one's life. Still, psychedelics are not magic pills because patients can approach memories and feelings they were unable to access or access before. They need good guides for interpreting the contents of their open minds and integrating the insights into their life. And even before the drug is administered, patients need a soothing environment that conveys complete safety, thus minimizing anxiety and preparatory therapy that sets up expectations or that sets expectations for the possibility of real benefit. Elements that lead some researchers to contend that the real breakthrough of psychedelics is to supercharge the placebo effect. The therapy now being designed to maximize the benefits of psychedelics differs significantly from current forms of psychotherapy. It harkens more to the psychodynamic models, says Yehuda. The idea is to follow the patient's process and help them explore material that doesn't usually come out. Therapists don't have a clear idea of what's going going to happen, but trust the medicine and the patient's inner healing intelligence. They go with what's on the patient's mind in the moment. If you were trained 30 years ago, this isn't new. Psychedelic-assisted therapy will require formal certification of all therapists who want to administer it, and training programs now springing up report no shortage of applicants. But the special conditions, labor intensity, and length of therapeutic sessions are costly and raise serious questions about who will have access to the transformation psychedelics promise. As a result, a race is on to produce a virgin psychedelic, a molecular or molecule that can activate the 5-HT2A receptor and ignite plasticity or neuroplasticity plasticity without triggering hallucinogenic effects, safe for at-home use. It's not clear yet whether subtracting the subjective experience still equals therapeutic effectiveness, but three major labs, including Roth's, all with biotech support, are on the case. 
pretty interesting if you ask me. Article again is a return to neural childhood. There's evidence that psychedelics pharmacologically restore critical periods of learning that close after uh, after adolescence by Hara or Hara Estroff Murano, Psychology Today, January, February 2023. Psychodynamics was an aspect of psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis was the child of uh, Sigmund Freud, who basically had, again, very loosely, in summary, my interpretation, my own personal sort of subjective opinion, insight flavored in, was to turn the person loose with their own mind to let their own mind sort it all out. The therapist was not about creating narrative, filling the gaps in narrative, was not about so much about the diagnosis. And psychoanalysis was, was more about the feelings in this way. The experience, I should say it that way, which includes feelings. Because as much as Freud, in theory, in theorizing, came up with id, which is just primal, uh, those kind of most biologically connected to drives, impulses, and then one's best mental or conceptual interpretations of what all of those as feelings meant and integrated into with primary drive sort of importance, the necessity for living, life itself, eating, sleeping, food, procreation. He also suggested there was a component element, the superego, which could be much more inclined to be all of this rationality, cognitive sort of stuff that I began the podcast with, the trouble with psychotherapy. And that was not dismissive in any way, shape, or form by Freud. He just basically said, That could again be truth as was once established and may indeed be need to be tested or should be, as with process continued to be tested in terms of application, not only in light of new findings, but our culture changes, people change, the narrative changes, the worldview changes, the perspective changes. But even then, Freud wasn't inclined to step in and say, well, this is what you should do or not do, or certainly anything in the way of moralizing that would get into too much of that superego, or institutionally so, that archetypical sort of what mom and dad would say or teach you in that way of socialization. He didn't want to have any part of that either. He simply said, We're going to deal with what is most readily available to us, which is the ego, which is in some ways the mediator between the id and the superego. And we're going to then try to prompt your awareness in the best that way that we can by being part of the experience. If we're going to guide it, we're going to guide it, as psychotherapists might, psychoanalysts might, Psychoanalysis was intentioned by taking it back to the process. 
And what then would be the process? <laughs> Consideration of id as well as superego as being influential to what you choose to do in the ego dimension, the sense of self. Ego also being mostly the conscious element or aspect, the other two being mostly the subconscious. And if we could raise the self, the subconscious to some state of awareness, as with insight, and then be this most appropriate of guides, continuing to direct it toward the process or being true to the process, which, by the way, is in all of us. So it would not be that the psychotherapist, the psychoanalyst, the psychological counselor would be the one that would had to tell you what the process was, maybe more so when you were getting too far away from the process, leaning maybe too much to one side or the other. And should all of this be so far astray from current theory, and the article captures that 30 years ago, this wasn't bizarre thinking at all. But we've moved in the age of super intellect, <laughs> Not super ego necessarily, but it's one and the same. It's all rationality. It's cognitive processing. Now, <laughs> this is also opinion stuff. I think what's driven that is money. I think that the insurance industry, who, by the way, carved out the niche to insert itself into not only health care, but I would presume at one point somewhere in the past, you just go to the doctor or you go to the witch doctor or go to the sh shaman, whoever it was that knew most about healing and asked for help and then came up with some sort of rate of exchange and it was transactional then. But as insurance companies are inclined to do, they inserted themselves right smack dab in the middle and said, no, you have to come through us. And then they began to control the entire industry, healthcare, but also behavioral health. And as much as they were very hesitant to acknowledge behavioral health as any sort of legitimate activity, when they finally admitted there were such things as psychiatric conditions and diagnoses and that just like other and it's all health-related in the sense that it's tied to physiology, some more directly, causation, connections of causation, uh, cause-effect, some maybe more indirectly. Once they began to treat it, they began to say, oh, but no, you can't go to a psychoanalyst who's just going to allow you to heal yourself. If we're going to pay for this stuff, if we've inserted ourselves in the middle and we're going to make a living, more so a profit, we're going to control the entire industry. And controlling the industry then basically turned it toward all of the rational, reasoned, and cognitive. Now, I know there are good arguments for, well, why should we have to deal with the emotions? Why should we have to go back into the past? Why should we do anything in the way that's labor-intensive when I can just give you the answer. When we all know what the answer is. And it's a true answer. The answer is we should use our brains, the cognitive parts of our brains, the higher cortical function. Those operations, when it comes to not only problem-solving and decision-making, but when it comes to management, 
of all of those emotional parts of our function. And I think it's still brain. At least within an interpretive sort of dimension. But the brain ties all of that together. It takes in a sensorium uh, sensation input and puts it together and then as I mentioned a few moments ago it helps us to conceptualize what all this primary drive stuff is about what do we really need I'm feeling hungry right now what does that mean well I need something to eat you may seem obvious seem a little overly simplified but your brain has to tell you Or you have to in some way be conditioned or learned. And then maybe for the sake of getting something to eat, it's benefit in numbers. You get some help with it. We can feed each other a little bit better that sometimes you go out and just do it singularly. You can communicate that. You can tell other people that. You can share information. Not only this is what it is, but this is how you go about meeting the need and etc., etc. But getting back to the money, (laughs) follow the money. All of that, though, was for the sake of shortening the visits, shortening the payouts. Why would you want to sign up to pay for a lot of sessions? And psychoanalysts kind of saw it as maybe for some individuals, kind of immeasurable you couldn't really say how long and it might be a lifetime and it took a lifetime I suppose or up to that point one's lifetime to get them there might take a lifetime or whatever might be left of one's lifetime to get them out of the mess out of the situation and what's the mess of situation not so much circumstantial situational not even so much literal It's how you put the emotional operations, all that sensorium input, together with higher cortical functions, making sense of all of that, and most of that being, relatively speaking, subconscious, adaptively so, because you can't attend to too much of that, lest, again, you miss or you, in time dimension, don't have enough time to attend to the other portions. And emotions do override cognitions. Emotional thinking, it's a primary operation, I think, or it is the primary operational system. Emotions, feeling. But you've got to get out of that in some way or calm the situation down sufficient in some way to get into more calm, thoughtful, pensive higher cortical, rational, reasoned sort of interpretation of all those feelings. Too much to one, especially if that is the primary and the secondary would be the higher cortical in terms of operation systems. If you never got out of the first, you may get into some of the second, but it's not going to be very nuanced or very complete. It's going to be pretty black and white and rigid. I'm hungry, I need to get food at whatever cost. I'm starving to death. No, you're hungry. But you don't think that through, well, you know, I feel like I'm starving to death, but I'm really not starving to death, etc., etc. But psychological sort of issues are a little maybe more complex and particularly if you add a social dimension having to get along with other people and their narratives there is value in socialization it brings cohesion cohesion 
it brings commonality and community and communal. But you can't just tell people what to do intellectually and rationally because they don't own it. It's not valid to them because the thing that validates all learning is, again, empiricism, which is really our experiences. But if we've become so rigid or dichotomous in our thinking, or if it's predicated upon such emotional thinking, and does it really ever get a chance to be analyzed introspectively, psychoanalysis, <laughs> in a very safe, secure environment where the therapist is not about telling you what to do, even answering all the questions, but facilitation of your answering the questions, your determining truth, which is your narrative and your story. Now, the psychoanalyst, the psychotherapist, the psychological counselor, as with Freud, analyst, they're going to add dimension. They may share common cultural reality. They're going to probably point out, I would at least, I'm not speaking for Freud now, just me, I would at least attempt to point out where that might be a bit difficult to do. You may be an agent of change, though. You may be the agent of change. You may find yourself in a position of saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Truth is somewhat relative. We're going through a pretty significant change or shift. The facts don't change. Our interpretation of them do. We have to take in consideration we are animalistic or animals in nature. But we can be specifically so a little higher than animals in a social dimension because we have the capacity for awareness. Again, id, superego. But the ego has to get or become adept at processing. And what better filter to run it all through than empiricism? And I may look at you and say, we should test that. Before you get out there and decide to change the world, consider whether the world is really ready for change. Even if you may actually have the end, there's a process or a degree of process there in societal organism, organizational sort of terms as much as it is individually. But it's okay for you to go through it and determine what's real and what's true. And then you could become an evangelist of sorts. You could become an apostle. You could go out and tell the world. But you have to also expect they're not going to do it overnight. And there needs to be some mediation. And you're not going to do it overnight. And there needs to be some mediation. The therapy and the therapist just personifies it. <laughs> we just become... A more, I guess, tangible icon of it. We become in sort of touch it, taste it, feel it itself sort of ways part of that experience. Now, that's without psychedelics. <laughs> but that's why I think the article captures probably an important premise. It's basically for me as I've read it and given it at least a little bit of thought, it speaks to two things, significantly speaks to two things for me, has significance in two ways. 
psychedelics could foster that. Neuroplasticity is just simply your brain's capability of rewiring itself. Uh, the terminology may not have originated with stroke victims where there was brain damage or atrophy. And the brain, if it was going to, <laughs> body, if it was going to function, if it was going to, it had to preserve, maintain, mediate, just basic walking and talking <laughs> types of functioning. It had to rewire itself, and it took a little while, but we were all thought it to be a miracle. We all see it as miraculous. The person immediate to a stroke, depending on how severe the incident was, <laughs> They may not be able to speak, walk, and then here they are, days, weeks, months later, and they're just like they were before. It's a miracle, and it was, and it is, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we know the mechanism, at least in a general dynamic sort of way, to be plasticity. Psychedelics kind of alter those areas that now we believe through research, theory, sound theory, empiricism, Scientific methodology, conversation, <laughs> what we best understand, truth based on the garnering or gaining of those facts that those type of studies provide. We think this is the parts, or these are the parts of the brain. This is the part, these are the parts of the brain that's responsible for that. Psychedelics go to the same place. The likelihood is, too, if you have a therapeutic relationship and give it enough permission, as Freud would have dealt with it or addressed it, maybe because truth has changed a bit, but it seems to have come back around in some way. So if he were here, he'd feel pretty proud of himself right now. But at the same time, he did that just through the psychological counseling and with very minimal risk of <laughs> screwing it up. And what would be the screw up? I think the article rightly captures it. If there's not a guide, if there's not somebody there who represents, to some extent, a tangible, empirical, touchable, shared experience, relationship-driven sort of touchstone or set point to come back to, if you get out there with psychedelics, you could have a bad trip. <laughs> you could Paranoia could kick in, and PTSD really does have a lot of hypervigilance attached to it. Out of a trauma, a lot of fight or flight attached to it. You have to work through that. But the article, too, is saying that's why we need to make sure <laughs> that people who do it understand not only the importance of feelings and emotions subconscious sort of material but the need to connect those two parts in a mediatory sort of way and they may be the mediator <laughs> the therapy experience they want to bring it always back to process there's the universal dynamic if there is such a thing as truth let that be truth <laughs> we all can agree what process looks like but process really is just that taking the emotions and interpreting them and going through what we know or don't know, what we believe ourselves to be, what we aren't, what we've come to believe, what our identity as construct. Identity is a psychological construct. We create the identity. 
(laughs) It is through socialization, other people, but we still respect the individual's right to either accept it or reject it. And we really don't like people simply taking advantage of our vulnerability and brainwashing us. And a lot of psychotherapy has kind of evolved to that point. Maybe the psychotherapist doesn't know and that's what the training is about. As the article again mentions it, they need to be trained and certified. Maybe it's just a reaffirmation of the process. Maybe it's the insurance industries. (laughs) Maybe it's the governmental agencies, the oversights. That, by the way, said that psychedelics were illegal. That's <laughs> the article. Maybe they're wrong sometimes. Maybe they are the rigidity. Maybe we need to give them psychedelics. And maybe they need to get on them so that they become more plastic or they example more plasticity, not only in organic or brain terms, biochemically so, but conceptually so. You can be equally rigid in thoughts, but never have really thought it through. <laughs> or you could be too super ego-driven and negligent of your id. Or you could be so negligent of both that you're almost non-functional. And trauma is sort of like a stroke, if I might draw that comparison in some allegorical sort of way. But it's a bit of a miracle when you can kind of see it being put back together again. We just don't need to do it so radically or with such ill intent or with some idea of simply controlling the narrative so that we then meet some sort of, (laughs) follow the money, material gain. That's unethical. I think it's illegal. It's illegal for me as a psychotherapist to do that to you. Maybe businesses and corporations and drug companies and manufacturers and the government really either don't hold themselves to such higher ethical, I find that hard to believe, standards. Maybe they can just get away with it. I don't want to get away with it, nor would I suggest anybody get away with it. We should always hold ourselves accountable to such standards of not brainwashing people. At least one of those is don't take advantage of somebody who's confused. Who does not really at that particular moment have such a well put together sense of ego, identity, self, Or maybe in some ways has these wormholes. Disassociation that goes with post-traumatic stress disorder that creates blank spaces. Or the moment that they start to think about or triggered, disassociation sort of is triggered because it also includes then some recall of the level of fight, not fight but fear, flight, and then maybe with it some Uh, demand for fight, emotional thinking is what I'm trying to chase down, that renders them in a position of being, unfortunately, not at all very highly cortically driven, but more emotionally driven, to the point of harming self or others. That's not good. But the answer isn't just to brainwash someone. You can't do that. Maybe that's also a fact That then is also truth. It doesn't work. You can't brainwash someone without there being 
other and maybe even more so deleterious consequences, not only for the individual, but now we're getting back to, and what does that speak to about our society? What does that say about us as a collective and what we believe in and where our ethics, our values might actually lie? Now, I'm sure that, again, the author, not only of the article, but all of those that were cited, research studies and authors that were cited, would not go as far as I've just gone. But I'm the one on the front lines, and you're the one that's receiving the help. And so somewhere in all of it, at least there should be full disclosure of where your therapist is, psychotherapist, your psychoanalyst is. Are they going to look at things? And this is all, all this process stuff Freud called psychodynamic. Or at least there was a strong correlation between psychodynamic and the process as I've described it. That's also an accurate way of trying to say it. But that's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm not going to sign you up for years of therapy. Uh, if you can get this pretty quickly and incorporate it, it's in you. But get to the place of consciously being aware of it and learn how to use it within an id, id not an id, but an ego sort of context. Take the id and the superego and allow the ego to mediate the two forces. If you could kind of just take... The experience, not me, but the experience home with you in short order, do it. Am I going to recommend psychedelics? I'm not sure I am at this point. I'm probably going to be much more inclined to be Freudian. Uh, again, Freud didn't have this available. And today, if, if, if he were alive today, he might say yes to it. I think it's still a little bit premature to go yes. And then there are those risks the side effects. And if you don't have a really good mediator, as with a therapist, <laughs> just a lot of liabilities I'm not ready to engage in until I'm really sure we have it all mapped out. We have really solid definitions on it. But I could see where this could become a very useful tool. And if it gets approved, <laughs> then we're going to get some real life field trials, so to speak, and it'll probably end up in the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which I hope is never going to be driven in some, towards some commercial end. It's not going to be corrupted by follow the money and profiteering, exploiting people for the sake of profit, profit or gain, or even control. I understand it gets a little scary when you leave it up to everyone to figure out what to do and have to go through all of the difficult. But as the article said, difficult is not necessarily bad. But we have to resist the temptation just to step in and mandate and order and tell people what they are and what they should do. And if they deviate from what we know and we think is the right way, then punish them. It's really not even about just natural consequences. Allow them to kind of find out for themselves. That too would take some time. Uh, maybe you could argue for the expediency of it. The world's going to end tomorrow. Climate change is going to destroy us all tomorrow. Which doesn't mean I don't believe in environmental causes or climate change or that we should do something about them. Just make sure 
You don't use that as a tool to make people so afraid that they'll go ahead and, poor cliche, corny, drink the Kool-Aid. Don't want them to do that. I don't want to be an agent of that sort of change or brainwash. COVID resulted in the same thing. I understand that there was legitimate reason to react the way that we did. There's science behind it. But it was also fortuitous that it also further gave opportunity for someone to step in and start telling you what to do. And we just need to make sure now that we understand it better, understand the highest risk groups, understand more properly the nuances of the protocol, not thinking in such emotional thinking sort of terms with such rigid. We need to practice plasticity (laughs) and go back to science and empiricism. Don't overreact and don't protract if we don't have to. That's all opinion. (laughs) It was all free too, so you know what that's worth. But I just would want to not only capture with integrity, ethically, the process, but I think that's the same thing with the psychedelics. If it helps us to kind of see things differently and... Maybe with PTSD folks, as the article also captured, there may be a positive trauma. I do believe we have to connect the emotions to the thoughts. And that's what good therapists do anyhow, with or without psychedelics. And that's what I would do if you came to see me. If I were the one, and I'm sure I'm not alone, go to the Psychology Today directory, you'll find folks who are vetted, who I am sure meet similar criterion as far as licensure and ethics and practice it as I would have tried to capture it and do capture it regularly on the podcast. Highest order of not only rationality, but respectful of emotions, but mostly so out of our rationality, our training, our education, our knowledge, our experience. We're ethical. We strive to be not only knowledgeable, but ethical in the use of that knowledge, as well as the vulnerability of people who come see us. You have to trust. I am not profit-taking, profiteering, exploiting. It's bad. It's not good. And if I see it, I'm going to call it out because I don't think it's right. That is a value statement, but I hope you would understand where it's coming from. Should you disagree with me, at least give me some cred. I don't want to hurt people I help. I'm supposed to help. (laughs) That's not the way it works. But in that same way, I want to come on the podcast and share as much data as I can, information. Psychology Today is a great resource. And as the article in today's on today's podcast in psychology today on today's podcast as i read it there's a lot of big words in there which doesn't necessarily mean it's more scientific but it's really a journal it's written for and with that intention in mind to an audience that is pretty sophisticated which i like to think you are (laughs) i like to think i am too but again that's why i do the podcast to share what i know so that you'll know And hopefully how we make decisions and how we do therapy so you'll know and make a good choice.
Should you want to continue to kind of go through this experience with me and allow me to do such things, I want to invite you back to our next podcast of what? Of Word with Dave Clay. And until we meet again, have the very best of not only health, but good behavioral health.